Hey everyone, this is more from X-Men, and you're listening to Monsters, Madness, and Magic. <laughs> Slash and cast. Alright, folks. Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, in this episode, I chat with actor and voiceover artist Ron Rubin about the Canadian voiceover boom of the 90s, X-Men, improv, crafting a character, morph, and more. Also, you can find a link to Ron's website in the description. As always, thanks for listening, and without further ado, here you go. No! He's my friend! They were all my friends. I don't want to hurt them. Ah! But why did they abandon me? Why did they leave me to die? Didn't I tell you? Clear sailing all the way. Hey, Ten Watchmen. I'm sending you back to Oz in pieces. Wolverine, pull back! Why did they abandon me? Why did they leave me to die? Boils and ghouls, this is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Ron, why don't you just take us back in time? Say you're a youngster. Are you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all of the above? <laughs> you know what? I've always had a few different sides of me. There is kind of growing up, I played a lot of sports, right? So there was that jock side. And then I was like doing little plays and sketches and whatever. So there was that drama kind of side that's, you know, comedy side. And then there's the scholastic side. And then there was like hanging out with the not so good boys, you know, who kind of got into <laughs> trouble here and there. So it's funny, you know, I kind of grew up a little bit of all of the above, kind of not knowing exactly uh, who I was or where I was going. Say so to say you're a class clown no you know what that's funny a lot of comedians and i don't um, know if your audience knows this but i did a lot of stand-up over the years and i wasn't the typical class clown i was funny with my friends you know my family was very surprised when i told them i'm moving uh, to go and, and try uh, and do stand-up they're a little shocked they didn't know that side of me once again the different sides right and so i wasn't the goofy class clown and even my stand-up was more character uh, sound effects observational stuff it wasn't like joke telling or anything like that but yeah i made people laugh a lot you know back then but class clown per se not really that is my favorite record of all time speaking of stand-ups george carlin class clown uh, classic love george carlin we uh, born on the same day actually 
Wow. You're growing up in Toronto? No, uh, Winnipeg, actually. Winnipeg. uh, Mid-Canada. Winnipeg, it's um, just above uh, North Dakota and uh, center of Canada, center of North America pretty well. So I grew up there, Justin, and like I said, I played sports, I I, I did theater, I did this, that, and the other thing, not exactly knowing what I wanted to do, you know, when I grow up. Thank God I haven't grown up yet. Um, And it was important to my dad to get my degree, right? So I went to to university, um, got a degree in like psychology, which by the way, helps a lot in show business. Um, (laughs) I'd imagine. uh, So I did my psychology and economics and then film and all all that kind of stuff. And and while I was doing that, while I was doing that, I had a um, a radio show at the campus, like radio station. That's kind of how I got started. It was kind of every Sunday night and we had like uh, the continuing adventures of Rex Hard. We had this private eye show and we had all these other character sketches. And back then, back then there was like no sound effects libraries or anything like that. So we had to kind of create all of that. And that kind of got me into into kind of doing voices and noises and <clears throat> sound effects. And if you needed, you know, the door open, you know, or a car starting or, or champagne popping. You know, I would just kind of learn to do all those kind of things. And it was really fun. So when I finally did, uh, after my degree, I moved to Toronto. At the time, I didn't have a green card, so I didn't, you know, I couldn't work in the States. And in Canada, that was the place to go. And I started doing stand-up. And I incorporated all the the characters and sound effects and everything in my act. And that's kind of how I got got started. You know, I was influenced. You asked what kind of kid I was. I was fascinated. I remember when I was really young watching The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson mm. um, and Mel Blanc was on. And I didn't know who this guy was. And I was like nine or t- 10 years old, maybe. And I saw this like just normal, like this little bald guy in a suit and out of his out of his mouth were just coming like these insane voices and Bugs Bunny and all these, you know, yeah, I knew I should have turned left at Albuquerque, like, you know, and I'm going, whoa, where did that come from? And I remember being like amazed and and, and just like, wow, I didn't even know like voice work was a gig. I didn't know that was a thing. But I remember, you know, just listening to him doing all his his voices and just being blown away. And part of my brain was like, oh, man, if I could do that one day. Uh, then a friend of mine had a cassette. See how much I'm aging myself? <laughs> Johnny Carson and cassettes of uh, of this guy who did like amazing sound effects. I think his name is Wes Harrison, and I was just fascinated by it. So, without even knowing that that was a vocational path, a, a possible career, I know I've just always been attracted to comedy, to voices, to characters, to sound effects, and you know I put it all together <clears throat> in this radio show, and that turned into kind of a live theater show, and that turned into me putting it together into an act and and starting stand-up. I moved to Toronto and I think um, I was 20 years old or 21 and did that. And it was also a great showcase, you know, for me to do that. You know, ultimately right. I got got recognized and, and asked to do, you know, some commercials and, and some cartoons and things like that. And one thing just, just led to another. It seems that radio and stand-up was more your path. Did the theater not stick with you? Did, was it something you didn't really enjoy? Yeah, no, well... Uh, I didn't do a lot of theater. Well, I had my own comedy troupe and we performed at theaters, but it was like my own. Uh, right. we, we basically brought the radio show to stage and did it like an old fashioned radio with the old fashioned microphones and the big announcer and all the sound effects. And so you're right. I love the, the genre of radio uh, because like voice work, you know, when you're doing uh, if you're an actor, like I teach 
I coach, um, you know, voiceovers, and and uh, I'm always telling the uh, the students that unlike television and film and theater, you can't kind of hide behind, you know, hair and makeup and set design and wardrobe and all that kind of stuff. Everything has to be conveyed through your voice, like end of story. So I think even doing the radio, I haven't thought about this, but you're bringing it up for the first time. I think for radio, just being in that studio behind the microphone and creating that world absolutely informed, you know, uh, what I what I do now. I mean, I did do some theater. You know, it's funny. I think every every comedian wants to do drama, you know, and every mm-hmm. dramatic actor actor wants to do comedy. <laughs> so when I was maybe just a year after being in, uh, so I moved to Toronto and I, I, I actually got into Second City, you know, uh, if you're, uh, you're familiar with Second I'm City, not, the improv, in, improv troupe. Okay, okay improv so, troupe, gotcha. Yeah, so, so I did a lot of improv and then started doing stand-up and then decided I want to be a real actor, you know, and <laughs> so I, I moved to New York. I got accepted into, I uh, went to the Neighborhood Playhouse, which is a really cool acting um, school, a fairly prestigious one and and I audited a few different schools there and I liked their mantra was living truthfully under imaginary circumstances which <laughs> which which means be as truthful as you can you know forget about the microphones and cameras and everything else and I went there and I studied acting and it was the coolest existence of, of, of my life Justin I was in my early 20s I was living in a little flat shared by a few of us on the Upper West Side and I was doing uh, a walk through Central Park every morning got my cinnamon raisin bacon and my coffee and and just at the, the time that remember the show fame with all the kids yeah, going to yeah, acting yeah, schools yeah. at the time of that so so it was kind of like you know it was it was right out of fame so I would you know meet all the other students and we and we do our scene studies and dialogue and 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 monologues rather and all the different acting classes and then at night I'd go to the comedy clubs right and I'd go to the improv and catch a rising star and play the comedy clubs and I, and I got to meet and play with a few of my heroes you know I won't name drop but I mean I got to work with some like incredible people that I kind of grew up idolizing and so it was just a, a very cool existence kind of stand-up comic by night and acting school by day I eventually came back to Toronto did quite a few commercials on-camera commercials some films some TV um, a really couple nice theater gigs but I got asked to do to audition for for a cartoon and I had never done that before I had only done radio and, and commercials and like on-camera kind of stuff and stand-up and I, I just once again just it blew my mind I got I, I think it was a Beetlejuice was one of the first um, cartoons I was involved in and you know with Tim Burton at the helm and back then it's like holy moly but even like he wasn't who he was you know uh, right. today and I got to go into the studio like in a pair of you know jeans and a baseball cap and you know do you know who wants to do this well I think it'll sound like this oh this one will sound like this and then he was just giving out parts and you know I booked a few parts and I, I ended up having about 10 different parts in that series and it was a great cartoon I was very lucky because I got to work with some really great people early on a lot of the LA productions and New York productions were coming to Toronto hmm. back then because I think initially because they got a bit of a tax break and whatever yeah. and they realized there was a really good talent pool here you know shortly after that the uh, the Marvel comic you know franchise came to town and so you know Stanley uh, X-Men you know where I played Morph and Avengers I was uh, the first person to give the vision a voice it was just like wow I like I would do the I would pay you you know to be able to go into the studio and do this stuff and you're actually paying me to do this and it was uh, I kind of slowly or not so slowly kind of 
got way more comfortable with voice work than I did with on camera, you know, and I kind of left the the TV and the film and the um, and the theater and everything and just concentrated voice work. And so, you know, I was auditioning all the time. It was a very, very busy time back then in the 80s, we're talking about lots of commercial voiceovers, lots of animation series, and I've never looked back. There are voiceovers and, vo- and voice acting gigs. You know, I consider straight reads, you know, commercials, narration, audiobooks, e-learning, I consider those voiceovers, whereas when, when it comes to animation and gaming, that's voice acting. Yeah, you know, yeah. and you and you do need the acting chops. You know, there's a lot of people I work with that you know can do some goofy voices, but that's not enough. You have to actually really inhabit the character, become the character. You know, create a whole three dimensional you know uh, vision of of who you are. You know, when we do animation, almost every series that I've done that I'm, you know, a, a, a feature, a regular on, they have you do like a sound effects library for the character. So how does he laugh? How does he cry? How does he sneeze? How does he exert? How does he, you know, whatever? So they can put it in and post and everything. And you have to know that, like every character that you uh, do, you, you got to know who they are. And I put as much preparation into, you know, my voiceover characters as I would on stage. But but it's true. You know, I think the secret to all voice acting is reading the words on the script without making it sound like you're reading the words yeah. on the script, right? You have to actually, you know, become the character without being overly dramatic and overly performance oriented. It's got to be real, although there are so many exceptions to the real, the, you know, the goofy over the yeah, yeah. characters. Animation has come a long way, just the same way as commercials have changed dramatically over the last bunch of years. They used to be very forceful and and over the top and, and you know, right now at McDonald's, you can buy this Big Mac for 99 cents. You know, and now they want the opposite. They want a very natural conversational read. They don't want it to seem like uh, an actor is being paid to sell the product. You know, right, right. they're looking for the average Joe and Jane to sell. So that, that same commercial now is, hey, right now at McDonald's, you can buy this Big Mac for 99 cents. You know, it's a completely mm-hmm. different. And with animation, I'm old enough that I've gone through the different um, styles. And when I started out, things things were pretty kind of goofy and over the top and, you know, very character driven and everything. And then it got kind of dark and gritty, you know, with uh, with X-Men Avengers, the Dark Knight, you know, things got yeah. very, very kind of real and Nowadays, there's a little bit of both of that, but there's a lot of kind of, uh, when I work with uh, students, I like to work with their natural voices and kind of go places. You know, when you think of shows, a lot of the characters, old school ones like Simpsons and Family Guy or new ones like, you know, Rick and Morty or BoJack Horseman or whatever, there's going to be the odd goofy over the top character, but a lot of them are kind of, you know, the mother, the father, the friend, the um, the quirky neighbor. So take your voice and, you know, kind of make it nerdy and kind of go this way without getting crazy cartoony. Or give it a bit of rasp and see where that goes. Or kind of give it a bit of quirkiness up there, you know, and, and just go all these different places with your voice. Animation has kind of gone from very cartoony to kind of dramatic and dark to natural to a little bit everywhere. So it's really important to know, I don't know how many aspiring voice actors are listening to this, but it's important to know who your audience is, right, Justin? It's, right. it's it, Who's the demographic? So if I get a script, I have to know, am I playing to a preschool crowd? Uh, am I? Is it Disney? Is it anime? Is it Pixar? Is it prime time where you can get away with all sorts of stuff, you know? <laughs> so it's important to, to kind of know all that. I just auditioned for a part, <clears throat> which I eventually ended up landing for this new series, and they wanted this monster, and they sent me a reference tape of, um, of the guy who did uh, all the sounds for Alien and Predator, and it was like real... And I went in there and I did a very kind of scary 
monster. And they said, and I looked in the control room and they were kind of going back and forth. And basically they punched in and they said, um, that was great, Ron, but let's not forget our audience uh, range is four to six year olds. So that was a little like scary for them. And I said, well, yeah, I, I kind of knew it was preschool, but you sent me this, you know, the, uh, so we obviously, you know, changed it to this gurgly <laughs> underwater. So we changed it completely different direction, but you have to know kind of who the audience is because there's so many different types of animation. You were going full Ridley Scott on the toddlers there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's always, you know, and these days everything, because of the pandemic and COVID and everything, you know, you're not in studios anymore, or now you're starting to get back. But, you know, for the longest time, you're auditioning from home, you're doing kind of Source Connect patch cords, you're doing link ups to, uh, to studios, you know, in town and out of town and doing everything from home. You kind of miss that personal connection being, you know, even during the audition process, a lot of auditions these days are from your home studio and you send mm-hmm. it in, right? And then right. you get a, maybe a callback might be on Zoom or something. But, you know, in the old, in the old days, not too long ago you went into the studio and you were there with the writer the producer the director and you could kind of work through it more so um the convenience of kind of working from your home studio is great but um in practicality i much prefer working you know uh, mano a mano right so ron you're a voice coach as well let's say i'm your student day one lesson one what do you want me to take away from that experience Huh. Well, we've actually covered some of it, and that is don't put a voice to the words, actually, you know, commit to the character fully. First, everyone is completely different. So some people do some good voices, but their reading isn't that great. Other people are good readers, but their their acting isn't that good. Other people are, you know, I always try to weigh a student's talent with their passion, meaning, you know, a lot of students come to me wanting to do gaming or wanting to do animation, but they have a really nice voice for commercials, you know, and vice versa. And it's really nice when those two mesh. Basically, I would want you to walk away after our first session knowing that there's no absolute right way to do things and even you know I used to when I entered the business I used to think you had to have a certain type of you know that that commercial voice you know to be and and it's actually quite the opposite now they're looking for individual personalities you know so I I always remind them that you're going up against a couple dozen if not a couple hundred other people for this part so make it your own like Mm -hmm. make it do it in a in a way that the writer and the producers know that you get the material right so we work a lot on script and interpretation and pace in 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 reading you know like in commercials if if you're reading too fast it just kind of sounds like you're trying to get through the damn thing and if you're too slow it sounds like you're reading it and if you take awkward pauses blah 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 so you know a lot of it is at the beginning stages it's kind of it's fun kind of creating voices and having fun but you got to get to the nitty-gritty of total totally committing to the voice you know energy and commitment and uh, physicality don't don't be afraid to be physical if I'm playing a big monster, I want my arms flailing in the air. Ah! You know, something like that. If, <laughs> yeah. if I'm playing a little scared bunny rabbit hiding behind a tree, I'm going to, you know, so physicality, everything uh, like that. Practice, 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 you know, because what you're hearing in your own head is different from what comes out of your mouth, right? So, right. Um, you know, record the stuff, read as much as you can. Keep making a list of all the different characters, you know, you can do. Listen to, listen to animation demos, commercial demos, find your niche and get as much experience as you can. And you know what? The best students, like you were talking about voice acting or actors voicing, I forgot how you phrased it, 
How did you phrase it? Actors who work in voice. Yeah, actors who work in voice. <laughs> yes, actors. Yeah. It sounds a little pretentious. Yeah, it does. Voice. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but I get it. I totally get it. But I find the people who have taken some acting classes who, or who are doing improv or who have done singing or who have done stand-up or just any, any one of the above, you know, get to your local radio station and start volunteering. Read the, you know, help around the office. Read the news. Get behind a mic, a mic as much as you can. You know, any situation that forces you to kind of uh, create characters and kind of get more familiar with your with your tone. I find a lot of people are it's funny in this business there's two types of people and it goes for students as well and one are very overly confident people who think you know I do great voices and and the other ones who are very shy and nervous so it's nice bring bringing the shy and nervous ones out of their shell right and giving them the confidence and at the same time the other ones it's nice bringing them down to earth a little bit yes yeah. you know, there's kind of a, a nice uh, nice equilibrium uh, in between I rambled on there about answering your question but those are some of the things that I bring up with my with my students and, and you know what Justin it's different because if I'm teaching commercial reads, it's kind of a slightly, like it's all under the same umbrella. But as I said, I, commercials are more voiceover. So, yeah. you know, I say, know your audience, know your attitude, meaning, you know, who are you playing to? And let's adjust that. But you're basically nine times out of 10 using your own voice where animation is a little more, there's a little more depth to it because you have to A, create the character, right? And develop the uh, the, the voice and then B, interpret and act the script properly, you know? And right. so there's, you know, there's a few different elements. Uh, I love doing them both. I mentioned uh, this to you on the phone when we were speaking uh, about a week ago that I spoke with your friend, Lawrence Bain. Uh-huh. And I basically asked him this question as well. And you kind of already touched on it, that for some reason during the late eighties and nineties, Toronto was booming. It was like a voice acting hub or actors who work in voice hub. <laughs> and what was the reasoning for that, do you think? Was it just the sheer amount of talent in this one area? Yeah, I mean, it was crazy back in the 80s. Like, it was it was nonstop here. And I touched on it before by saying I think some of the productions came here because the dollar, you know, was, was better for them. They got kind of a tax break. So financially, it made sense for them to come here. But I think then they quickly realized that the talent pool, you know, was really solid. And they kept coming back and coming back and coming back. I mean, I remember back then, you'd do six, eight series every, you know, uh, I was doing Beetlejuice and X-Men and Care Bears and Police Academy and Cops and Urgy and like Ace Men. Sure, like, and just all these cartoons kept coming one after the other after the other. Now there's still a lot of production happening here, but some of it's moved away. But yeah, back in the '80s, Toronto was like the hotbed. A lot of the local productions, Nelvana Productions, Breakthrough, other companies like that were churning out cartoons. But uh, a lot of the, uh, the Marvel, um, um, Deke, um, a lot of the other companies uh, were coming up here. So I don't know for sure 100%, but I'm just assuming between the finances and the talent pool, that's a nice recipe for a good production show keep it under budget and keep keep the performances strong yeah that'll keep the studio ex eyes lighting up right there absolutely take us to two x-men was it your typical audition you go in and get the part or was it Wait. right place right time oh no x-men was different from everything else um you know when i was you know doing some of the other like i talked earlier about you know the beetlejuices or or i think one of my first ones was do you remember cop c-o-p-s central organization i i, I never watched the show but i know the show <laughs> okay so i had a really fun part on that dr bad vibes who's got kind of a fun cult uh, following i bump into people at comic cons and and it's it's great but you know he was your typical 
<laughs> Evil Matt, I'm Dr. Bad Vibe. And so I had been doing that. And I had been, um, you know, Care Bears and I had been doing Beetle, Beetlejuice with all. So I'd been doing a lot of wacky voices. And all of a sudden, X Men comes along. And it's a whole different animal. It's theatrical. It's um, it's a stage play. We had table readings. It was like the audition process was very, and the direct directors that we worked with, they really wanted you to define and refine your characters. And it, it was much more quantitative to to theater, doing doing films, because you mm. really rehearsed and they really got. Now my part was, you know, more for one of the parts I auditioned for was was Morph, who kind of was a bit of the comedy element. You know, they. <clears throat> he was the lighter side to all the other characters. Still, they, you know, when he broke down, when they left him to die, when, you know, Wolverine, come back, it, it was pretty heavy. And I had done quite a few, a lot of the people hadn't done cartoons at that point. We were all really young. We were all in our early 20s doing this. And it was all very new. I had done quite a few cartoons, but as I said, they're all, you know, very over the top and goofy and cartoony. So this one was like, man it was real shit they kind of worked with you a lot on your preparation and your motivation and internalized this emotion and yeah it was a Damn. it was a it was a whole different process and but morph was fun because i got to use it was my own voice it was a little kind of higher pitch but um it was my own voice but i got to you know be imitate you know everybody else you know so i could be the president and <laughs> could be Gambit Emotion, and I could be, uh, you know, all these other things. So, if, you know, as you know, from watching the series, if, you know, where I change into a security guard and he talks like this or, or whatever. So it was really fun for me. It was a challenge kind of playing all these different parts and everything. And, you know, and then the also, okay, here's a little, little background on X-Men. So for those of you who watched it, well, I, I, I'll tell you the actor's POV. I get a script. And I think it's the second episode, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. Maybe it's the first or the third. But, And I see that my character is being left for dead, right? And he's, like, like being killed off, basically. And this is the worst nightmare for any actor <laughs> is to read a script. I mean, what you, what you want to do as an actor is flip to the last page of the script and see your character there, right? And so, so when I saw that they're killing off Morpheus, I was like, no, because this was, like, a prized gig, right? Yeah. And all, all of the talent in Toronto, and there's a lot of it here, were vying for, you know, Wolverine and Beast and Rogue and Jubilee and, and, and Storm, and, you know, and it was quite a um, extensive audition process so to actually book a gig was wow i'm part of the gang and this is cool they were, we're talking marvel now back then marvel is not of course the franchise that they become yeah, now right. but even back then you just know it from the comic books and everything like that so when they killed off morph it was like oh shit <laughs> like, <laughs> like that that didn't last very long so uh i've recently you know because there's been a resurrection of x-men actually they just came out with a morph hasbro just came out with a new oh, morph, wow. uh, action figure it's really cool so i'm talking not that long ago to Eric and Julia who, uh, who were the, some of the uh, the showrunners and creators and, and, and writers for the series and they said that basically you know Morph he's based on the Changeling from the mm. cartoon right mm. and so but he'd never been a character and for those who don't know he would, his mutant ability was able to metamorphosize himself into anybody and you know anyone so they wanted him to be befriend Wolverine right and then kind of kill him off so just to show this series means like 
you know, we're serious here. This is not your typical series. Problem was that Morph tested really, really high with the focus groups. Like he was one of the uh, the fan favorites after the first, you know, couple shows and they needed to bring it. So the, the people from above were kind of like, oh shit, we, I think we want to kill him off. And now we have to bring him back. Oh damn. And, and you know, as, as one of the writers says, he says they were so pissed off because they already had like, you know, a three, four, five season story arc written. And now Morph is coming back into the, um, into the equation. Right. Yeah. So they, they left me for dead and you know the evil dr sinister put an evil brain in my head and i came back as the evil morph right and i was in the next five seasons off and on it's funny because you know i was still morph but uh, but good morph you know his laugh was <laughs> but bad morph his laugh was <laughs> so basically i went up or i went down that's how you tell good morph and bad morph but it was pretty fun you know it, it, it was horrendous to be uh, to be killed off but then it was great to be brought back to answer your question about the audition process it was different from any other cartoon that uh i've and ever have since maybe avengers was 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 there but that was only one season but uh, the audition process for uh, for x-men was uh, was wild and different and and awesome i've never considered that aspect of morph that you actually had to of course he's the changeling but you i was just as a kid you think you know they have actually gambit doing the gambit mimic of morph but it's actually it was you doing the mimic of you had to be able to at least mimic every other character at some capacity you know <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean i can't say for sure who they yeah but basically i uh yeah i had to imitate pretty well everything and everyone in my path which which was awesome <laughs> part of me would would have loved the you know the meteor deeper characters but that's okay you know i got the part because that's what i do you know it's interesting in the, in the world of voiceovers there's kind of two types of people one one type has that signature beautiful voice or quirky voice or whatever that it's known for that voice and that read and they get a ton of work doing that and other people like myself do like a hundred different voices and characters and 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 kind of are very malleable that way so you know there's pros and cons to both the problem is if you do too much one way i think for a long time i was considered just this cartoon guy right so i wasn't taken seriously for just straight reads or commercials and then people who do a lot of just straight commercials aren't considered for a cart you know it's it, yeah, yeah i think i think every business pigeonholes you you know uh one way or the other but yeah that certainly happens in this business but you have to kind of just you know here i am 40 odd years later still still talking about x-men so yeah. that was kind of fun exactly you just said you did avengers as well so were they trying was marvel in those days actively trying to use the same voice actors if they could on their shows there was a few similar ones i think there was maybe just two or three maybe four i don't know it wasn't like the whole cast shifted over it wasn't like all the x-men became avengers because there was different parts there there was right. of course there wasn't the same the same parts but there's a few of us who kind of got on with avengers vision was kind of cool once again i'm coming from a very cartoony background and vision you know i'm sorry can i help you you know he was very kind of very dave in 2001 very yeah. kind of you know uh, not robotic but you know and it's an interesting kind of voice to do because it's not a whisper and it's not a full voice and it's it's like every computer that you hear on a space it, 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 it's great because they all seem to have a smile but it's behind a kind of a creepy attitude it's like i'm sorry captain you're going to die you know, and but they say that with a smile, you know. Uh, right. <laughs> but so so Vision was kind of cool, and that was kind of fun. And I, I wish the series would have kind of lasted longer. Um, I think we only went a season or two with that. But you know, then when Avengers started hitting, like you know, the, you know, the Marvel Universe and getting out there, and, and Paul Bettany, you know, kind of acted. In, it was kind of interesting being the first person to give a character, you know, a voice. Right. So that was, um, yeah, that was kind of fun. You know, Silver Surfer. There's a, there's a few they a few in a row that Marvel did. 
did up here. Absolutely. But I think X-Men definitely, it's a, on a lot of people's, you know, top 10 list of best cartoon Absolutely. series ever. I, I think it broke a lot of ground. I think it, it had a really great following. And when it comes to your teaching, is there a, a common mistake that you see often with young voice actors that you would say most people have this issue? I'd say a lot of people rush the read. You know, and right now when you're asking me, part of my brain is, are you asking commercial or animation? With commercials, a lot of people think they're not talking fast, but they are. And I think a lot of them are a little nervous or anxious and just kind of want to get through the script. I think uh, when it comes to animation, I think the biggest mistake is people kind of just being maybe a little shy and having to have a little more confidence in, in fully committing to the character. A lot of people will kind of put on the voice, but then just read the words. And there's a difference between yeehaw, we got to get out of here versus yeehaw, we got to get out of here. You know, I mean, there's, there's <laughs> so, so I think, you know, just starting out, I think they have to realize that voice acting really means acting and you really have to give it everything you have. I mean, you know, if I'm playing that guy, I'm going to give it 110%. But if I'm playing this guy, I'm going to give it 100%, 10% in that realm too. So I think when it comes to commercials, smoothing out the read, not taking awkward pauses, not speaking too fast or too slowly, you know, and, and, and working a lot with making the read conversational, which sounds easy, but it's the hardest thing in the world to do because it's not always written conversationally. And, and with animation, it's just like going full force and, and, and not overdoing it, not under, you know, just finding the right balance of, of where that character lives. I find it shocking, Ron. You know, you have over 100 credits and you've done tons of voices, but it doesn't like you've worked much in the video game realm of voice acting. Is that something you've avoided or is it just the opportunity not presented itself? Yeah, I kind of have. I haven't stayed. I haven't pursued that. You know what? Okay. I, I honestly can say that, and I haven't pursued audiobooks either. I've kind of my mainstay has been commercials, animation, and my teaching and the other projects that I do. Yeah, there's lots of great gaming out there, and I got friends who specialize in gaming, and they do tons and tons of games. And I just I've been pretty busy of late, you know. And right. um, life gets in the way, and I um, yeah, no excuses or anything. But I just kind of I haven't really. It's kind of been my my decision. I haven't really gone there yet yeah i was thinking that had to be the case because obviously you do a lot of work and usually the case is when you see voice actors usually do both and i was just it had to be something you kind of weren't interested in or avoided i was like yeah i mean you know i'm never going to say no to a to uh you know to a a nice gig but no uh there's there's niches and cliques of people who specialize in gaming and animation and commercials and stuff like that and I, i i you know i did a gaming gig you know a few years back and it's um talk about you know making your tonsils bleed i mean gaming a lot of them the one i was doing you know you had to i was in the studio for four hours like screaming at the top of my lungs because you have to do you know i was talking about a sound effects library for uh, animation well for gaming it's like impacts and screams and ah and and, and you know i literally blew my voice out and i couldn't work <laughs> for for a week after that and uh so it, it's a slightly different animal and i i, I teach gaming I, I i i you know i know what it's all about and 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 everything but uh no that's been a conscious decision i just haven't kind of entered um that venue yeah yeah you may go in for a game voice and they might have you do 12 different takes on dying you know we need oh, to die oh, 12 they, different ways <laughs> oh they will absolutely 100 <laughs> percent yeah (laughs) absolutely absolutely let's circle back on uh animation have you done much dubbing and do you did you find it difficult initially because a lot of voice actors that i speak to say that it's almost a musical skill and they kind of had to learn it at first 
Well, that's interesting. So dubbing mainly works with the uh, goes along with anime, mm-hmm. uh, or um, I mean, for those who don't know what dubbing is or ADR, um, additional dialogue recording, it means when a cartoon is produced and finished in another country, and so it comes in in Japanese or Chinese or from Israel or from Russia, and it's uh, the uh, the animation is already done and they've already laid a voice track to it, but now it's time to westernize it, North Americanize it, right? Right. And so I've done a fair bit of that and uh, my first introduction to that was uh, Sailor Moon which was a huge that was probably the first big big crossover animation gig we did and it's very weird because up until then and this is kind of interesting for people who don't know how animation works original animation like everything you see Saturday morning cartoons and Disney and Pixar and, and Marvel and everything like that you lay down the voice track first and then they draw to it Oh, see, I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know I that? I didn't know okay. that. Yeah, because apparently to get the best performance, you work with the actors, the voice director works with the actors to lay down the voice track, and then they draw to that. Apparently it's more expedient, it's easier, it's better, as opposed to you having to lip sync to a character going, <laughs> you know, <laughs> everyone's used, so I was used to laying down the voice track, and you're in the studio, and in the old days, you used to do everything on ensemble, which means the entire cast was there. So when we were doing like Police Academy and Beetle, you know, there was like 12, 14 people in the studio, and it was, it was awesome. It took forever, but it was awesome. These days, they generally bring in one or two people. That, like if you're a principal role, um, you'll, you'll go in on your own if you have a lot of lines of dialogue, just you. And if you're playing off of another person, they'll bring in the two of you or something like that. But you always lay down the voice track first. So dubbing, you have to um, basically try to match the lip movements. And they kind of help you out here because somebody painstakingly writes out the dialogue in English phonetically, you know. So if you're like falling off a cliff, they'll be like, 17 O's like oh you know and in the in the old days there used to be there's been different systems there there's like a rhythmo band and there used to be two lines coming together in the screen and you had to be in on that the, the line and then out on the line these days it's uh, the rhythmo band method is is much easier You're basically reading along and there's a line on the left hand side and the words are going by and you're reading them and if you get good enough to get in when it hits and get out when it hits the line, then it syncs up to the lips perfectly or as as perfectly as it can be. Right. Because it's interesting because, you know, doing uh, anime, the Japanese mouth movements are different from American mouth movements. They're rounder and, yeah. and you know, so it's never going to be perfect. When I was doing Sailor Moon, we had no idea what anime was. And we were in a studio and we used to work late at night, like at midnight. And you wouldn't really get the scripts ahead of time or anything like that. You just go in and you'd be reading the words going across the screen. And so the performance. I'm sorry to say, kind of sucked in a lot of cases because because you're not you know you're not there concentrating on your acting ability. You have to come in here and get out there on time. So we just did this, not thinking much of it. There's a whole bunch of us doing Sailor Moon. Long story short, Sailor Moon became like the biggest you know anime crossover series. And when I do Comic Cons now, especially anime cons, the uh, the fans are are insane in a great way. The, um, um, it's become like a really huge thing, and we didn't know about it and the the weird thing was Justin that we did it and then like 10 or I think it was 20 was it 10 years or 20 years later we got invited to a comic-con first time you know this is comic-cons weren't that, that right um, 
around that much back then. And we went there and we were treated like kings and queens. And there was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, you know, thousands of people there lined up around the block. And it was just amazing. And that was one of the first cons I did. I realized, wow, what I did have has some impact on kids. And it helped a lot of, and it helped a lot of kids get through some tough times and and there's only two it was a very female empowering show like all the sailor moon sailor jupiter sailor mars sailor moon there's only two like male leads one was a tuxedo mask and one was artemis who i played and that mm-hmm. was the cat anyway dubbing is yeah is a whole different animal you know and there's a you know and dubbing is also a term used you know, if you're dubbing in dialogue for movies or you're, you're replacing right. a voice or doing something like that. But when it comes to animation, that's mainly done with anime. And that, that's a huge part of the market. I'm glad you brought that up because there's all the different types of animation and anime has to be included in that. So when you first attempted that, was it something that you struggled with or was it kind of natural for you? I'm a pretty good reader. Like, once again, uh, people underestimate how important reading is. I mean, it sounds very dry and technical, but you have to be a good reader. It wasn't easy because you have to fit a lot of words into a short amount of space, but I, I can talk fast and I uh, I can talk fast and I can read good. Uh, so <laughs> so it, 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 it's definitely a learned uh, kind of how to do it because it was just so different. And we would just go in not even thinking anything of it and just try to get through it. But it's, uh, it's a learned art. It really is. I don't remember having too many problems with it, to be honest. Ryan, when you look back at all your voices that you've done over the years, is there one particular that uh, was a little bit harsh on the vocal cords that you'd rather not do again? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah, there's a few of those. I did one character for, you know, as a voice actor, you learn to try to place a voice in a position in your throat that's not going to injury you you know but sometimes it's hard there's a cartoon called Erky Perky a whole bunch of years back and there's this uh, character named friend Uh, these are all bugs that they it was a really fun series but they're all these kind of gross bugs that ended up in this well you don't need to hear the whole backstory but there was one character in particular that I was auditioning for and he was kind of this big sleazy lawyer bug and everything like that but he was he was um they wanted him kind of New Yorky and kind of sleazy right right you know so I did kind of a New Yorky on Joe Pesci, hey, come on, you freaking moron. You know, kind of kind of a typical you know, New York thing. And they said, we love the attitude of the New York kind of accent, but he's really, you know, gross. And, and, so, and so if I want to get gross, I kind of go way down here and give it lots of rasp and wetness. But they still like this. And, and this is another tip for firing voice actors is it's really fun to sometimes take two voices and put them together to make a tertiary voice, right? So basically, uh, they kind of wanted this kind of New York thing and they all have this gross thing down here. So I kind of put the two together and I still did the New York thing, but I did this kind of, <laughs> hey, come on, the airfish should pay double because they have two stomachs. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> That's a voice that was really fun to do, but a little hard, you know, on your throat. With me, it's either the ones that are really down here or the ones, actually, that one's not too bad, or like the really high falsetto ones that you have to do. I remember uh, that one being a little harsh, my voice, but you try to find a placement. I've done a ton of ton of different characters that kind of, you know, have gravel in there, but I've just found a place that it doesn't uh, affect my throat too much. And you know what? If it does, don't take the gig. I mean, because it's going to blow your <laughs> blow your throat up. Yeah, you got to keep the money maker. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Abs- absolutely. What is the best acting advice you've received in your career? 
I once heard someone say that, you know, when an act, and this isn't necessarily advice, but it, it's kind of like how you have to think about it because, you know, a lot of people are, are kind of bitching about not working, and, and the, but they're auditioning a lot and not getting stuff. I once heard someone say, you know, when an actor is auditioning, he's at work. When he lands the gig, he's on vacation. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the gig itself is, you know, that's once you get that gig and you're getting paid for it and you're in the studio and you're doing what you love, like, that's the that's the gravy, dude. But, you know, it's the it's the process of the journey, the audition. Auditioning, the you know, the classes, the everything else that that's the work part, you know. So don't get discouraged by having to jump through all the hoops that 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 you have to jump through. Also, be true to yourself. It's a business built on on rejection, right? And it's and you know if if you go out for a dozen auditions, if you land one, you know you're doing okay, really. But that means like eleven times they're saying no. And so when I was younger, I used to take it personal, right? Like they right. don't like me or they don't like my voice or you know. And a lot of times they either have something in mind specifically that is is impossible i find when they either want something so specific you know it's hard to get there because they have it so or they have no idea what they want and you have to you know create it you know which i'd much prefer i much yeah. prefer they don't know what they want and i'll and i'll and i'll create it but if i didn't get a gig i would i would personalize it and now you know i've learned i've been doing this a lot of years I record the best audition I can do and I do my very best and I send it off and once it's sent off I I let it go you know and I don't think about it and it's you know certain big big gigs you kind of you know (laughs) you'll call up your agent you know a week later and go have you heard anything (laughs) but basically try not to take a rejection as as a personal kind of insult uh, to you and just realize it's it's part of the business I probably have Many other gems of wisdom here, but you caught me off guard, so I can't, I can't think of, of too many more. And you know what? It's all about, you know, it's not rocket science. It, you know, I teach in my classes. We're just here to have fun. Like, you got to put your ego aside, right? And or else you're in the wrong business, you know, and just and just play and, and, and have fun. Also, there's money to be made, but it's a really competitive business. So, you know, it sounds cliche, but don't give up your day jobs until you're actually at a point that you, you know, you're paying the rent kind of thing. The good news is there's a lot of production happening, and the and the and the not so good news is there's there's a ton of competition. You know, I I've noticed especially, and maybe it was during the p- pandemic, um, you know, specifically, but even years before that, when I'm teaching, there just seems to be lately an influx of people that mm-hmm. oh, I, I I can do this, you know part-time and I can work from home and I can just audition and I can and you can do all of that but there's thousands of other people doing that as well so kind of find your niche you know as I said balance your talent and your and your passion and find what you're good at and 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 focus on that and keep getting better at that and then get a kick-ass demo together and don't do the demo prematurely wait until you're ready and then just you know with everything that's available with social media and websites and, and social profiles and everything like that there is when I was starting out not not just starting out but in the 80s 90s 2000 like before you know the internet before everything became so readily accessible basically the only way to promote yourself like it was hard to promote yourself and so you needed an agent and you needed to kind of um, have representation and nowadays, a lot of people are kind of doing their own gigs and, and being discovered on YouTube and being discovered, you know, in different ways. So self-promotion is very, very important. So hopefully there was some words of That's wisdom. a lot of good wisdom right there. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> That's a lot of good stuff. 
I think I've been rambling on a lot here, Justin, but that's why we're here, isn't it? (laughs) Rambling man. There you go. But uh, yeah, so, and don't get discouraged, you know, don't give up because uh, a lot of times you won't get this and that and the other thing and you'll just say, oh, I'm no good at this. And you just never know. Because as I said earlier, I used to think you needed a certain type of voice for voice work. And that's not true. There's a lot of people who have kind of quirky voices or just kind of different voices and they fit into the equation. and, And all you need is that lucky break. And also, if you do get that one break, take it seriously because the person who hires you for that gig is probably down the road gonna be auditioning for other gigs and other gigs. So you know, once you get your foot in the door, it's really important to kind of kind of have a good reputation and kind of show up on time and then know your stuff and kind of be prepared. Sound like the Boy Scout uh, thing here, but well said, well said. <laughs> so Ron, do you have anything on the horizon? I know the answer here that you can tell us about without getting in too much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, there happens to be a new. X-Men thing coming out uh, but I can't really get into that because it's still a little little hush-hush so I will uh, be involved in uh, that project but I've signed too many NDAs and that's not public knowledge yet has been coming out yet so that's in the often. I'm doing a few uh, cartoons right now. Uh, One kind of um, one called Pickwick Pack which is really cute and really fun. And I play Professor Hoot who's an owl who kind of talks like this and um, also a few other parts in there. That evil monster that I told you about who was turned into this uh, big blue that's happening and I'm the voice of Maple Leaf Foods up here in Canada and for uh, their commercial um, um, campaign and got a few other things on the air and a few other animation uh, projects up and coming and can't talk about those yet but yeah I got a few things on the go and I I continue to to teach and work with students and um, I don't know if you're going to say this at the end or not but ronrubinvoice.com is my website if anybody's interested in, in looking me up and possibly work Working with me and pretty busy these days, but I always have time for uh, for new students. So yeah, so between the oh, also I wrote. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I wrote a cartoon and just optioned that. Um, so to a great company in New York. So that was a lot of um, you know. It's funny. I seem to be specializing. My whole life is is animated or animation so i'm teaching it i'm voicing it and i'm writing it and i'm directing it so that kind of keeps me uh you know busy enough and uh, it's nice to have some time just to kind of enjoy life period aside from all of that so uh i got a few things on me but it's not as busy as it was in the 80s in toronto i'll tell you that (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah i'm um i'm just uh, i'm I'm really grateful and um, appreciative that I, i got to make a living doing what i love doing you know what they say is find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life and that is so true and sometimes i i forget you know i get anxious or upset or nervous or 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 this or that or i didn't you know whatever um and and i realized no dude they're they're you know you're doing something that you very few people like are doing in the scheme of things and you actually have a job that you uh you you truly adore and so i'm very uh, yeah i feel very blessed uh, uh for that well said ron it's been a pleasure justin and you better send me a link of this when it's finally up and produced i will certainly send you a link when i have it nice and pretty and post it it'll be a few weeks yeah no rush that's okay um uh, oh that's actually perfect because you know what the san diego comic-con is the end of this month so we can't open our mouths till then kind of go from one thing to the other without even you asking a question you kind of got me going and so i hope i didn't ramble on too much but i think uh, I, th- I think that was fun and hopefully informative and entertaining <laughs> i think it was all of the above my friend <laughs> awesome well thank you very much for your time justin i appreciate it and heck you should be thanking me boy <laughs> Thank you, Ron. <laughs> and I'll be in touch, man. You have a good night. <laughs> okay, thanks again. It was a pleasure meeting you, and um, uh, be well and good luck. You too. Bye-bye now. Okay, thanks, dude. Bye-bye. All right, folks. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Ron. 
As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic. (laughs) Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day, all with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.